It truly is a privilege to be with you once again as we initiate our fourth session regarding how to be the real you. Beloved, there is no substitute for entering into the reality of being able to define the real you and then walk in the reality of it. I'll be honest with you, I was going to have just four sessions in regarding uh, how to be the real you, but today as I was praying, uh, the Lord came to me in a very supernatural fashion. I mean, very glorious and uh, downloaded uh, two more sessions that I was not expecting. So we're going we're gonna to accentuate, we're going to up the ante uh, in this session. And I'll tell you, in the fifth and sixth sessions, we're just going to go all out. You say, what, what do you mean by accentuation? What do you mean by upping the ante? Uh, we've gone into a lot of things that can affect your identity, how to be released from false identity, from false triggers that from things that have happened to us that have been hurtful and in the context of uh, <clears throat> different types of personality, etc. But now we're going to enter in to really accentuating from our initial session where we said the Bible is that which defines you. To, I mean, we're going to enter into some things I, I believe you've never heard before. We're going to enter into some things that are just really just going to blow your mind. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't know how else to put it. But uh, we're going to enter into, I'll tell you, it's just going to be glorious. That's all I can say. So uh, we, we have defined this uh, session as Bible identity. Now, when you hear that, someone says, ah, okay, that sounds good. And a lot of people, they hear it, they don't get excited about it. But we need to understand that the Bible is given to us for two main purposes. The first is that we might see who, really for three main purposes, that we might see who God is to us. Second, that we might see who we are to God. And third, that we might enter in then through the truth of the gospel, how to cultivate the reality of who God is in our lives and how to enter into cultivating who we really are. You know, the word devil literally means deceiver. The word Satan literally means accuser. The devil will do everything he can prior to you being saved to keep you from salvation. And once you're saved, He'll do everything he can to try to keep you from being who you really are. The Bible says in Galatians 4, chapter 1 to verse 5, that as long as the heir, even though he's ruler of all, for example, he might be a child of the king, but as long as he never enters into his identity as who he really is, he will, differ no, he will be no different than a slave. It really grieves me. I really over, I mean, being saved for going on 50 years, to see so many believers, really they, they don't act any different than slaves. They, they, they minimize the reality of who they are because perhaps they've never been taught. And this, why, this series, I believe, is so close to the Father's heart. Again, as I was uh, getting ready to make this our final session, I mean, Jesus came to me. And he said, Michael, there are certain things I really want to get across to the body of Christ because them entering into their identity is crucial to walking in victory in these last days. But not only that, but it's so crucial in them bringing the truth of the kingdom of heaven to the earth, to reigning and to really negating evil and wickedness, which would try to come in a pronounced way, even into the church. Now we know that in Isaiah 5, the Bible says in the last days that evil is going to be called as good and good as evil. And we're seeing that now. 
So it's not like we can eradicate evil because people have their choices. At the same time, we can live in the midst of evil, glory to God, and not be affected by it. We can walk through the fire and not be burnt. And then we can deliver people from the evil, blessed be God. And hallelujah, let Jesus translate them into the kingdom of his dear son. Hallelujah, through the new birth by the blood of Jesus. And we can enter into victory for ourselves and others. But uh, let's enter into, uh, I mean, let, let's just get with it, okay? So again, Bible identity. Go with me, if you would, to Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 27. And this verse is so powerful because it really encapsulates to such a degree what the gospel entails. And in Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 27, there, there's a powerful verse here. And you may have read it, but we're going to look at it because it is so powerful. Glory to God. It says this, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is crossed in you, the hope of glory. Now, here's what, I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. There are so many believers. I mean, they, they sense Jesus. They love Jesus. And in their heart, they have such a desire. I mean, for some amazing things. But then they get talked out of it by, by the enemy saying you're not worthy. Or, or many times they get talked out of it by the church saying, who do you think you are? And, and I want to say this to you. God works by desire. Now, I know that when I mention that, immediately people think, well, you know what? I'm not going to enter into making myself vulnerable to, to, in the context of desire because if it doesn't come to pass, it's very hurtful. God understands that. Proverbs 13, 12 says that an unfulfilled desire is, is very harmful, very hurtful. But eat, a desire that's fulfilled is like eating of the tree of life. I'm here to tell you this. What God has given you a desire for, he will give you a provision for it. And I don't want to get ahead of myself because we're going to look at the principle of, of vision, provision. But I, I want you to know this. The desire that you have within your heart to be intimate with Jesus, the desire you have in your heart to experience the love of Jesus as a child of God, even as the Son of God experiences the love of the Father. I, I mean, according to John 17, 26 is... It's in your spirit. You see, somebody that is, uh, I, I tell parents all the time when they're, they're struggling in the context of their parenting, I say, intrinsic to your having this child is the ability to parent in an awesome way. And they say, well, I don't feel adequate. I, I feel inferior. And I tell them this, God's provision is intrinsic to your makeup in the context of who, you made, who he made you to be. So desire is so important. And what's this say? Christ is in you, giving you the very hope to experience the very glory that he experienced. Someone says, I, I can't believe that. Well, let's go to John 17, 22, and Jesus, where Jesus said, the glory that I experienced on the earth, I want to give to them through the glory of the Father, the Spirit of glory, according to Romans 6, 4, the Holy Spirit. Jesus is in you to give you the desire for what he entered into and had a desire for. You have a desire for holiness. You have a desire for righteousness. You have a desire for the presence of God. 
You have a desire for victory. You have a desire to win souls for his glory. Why? Because he has given you the very desire that caused him to, to enter into a passion for the Father. He's given you that desire. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2 says that God is in you to give you the desire, hallelujah, for righteousness, then the ability to enter into it. Glory to God. So, see, so often, I, I, I'm just going to share my heart with you. We minimize the desires within us. We minimize the desires within us because we think they're too big. Because you know, we, we put them in our own mind rather in the context of the mind of Christ. So I, I want to share with you that when we're talking about Bible identity, we're talking about an amazing identity. We're talking about an identity that's so amazing, so great that you really can't comprehend it with your natural mind. You have to enter into it with your born-again spirit and then have that translate to your natural mind. All right? Uh, so that just sets the stage. All right? All right, go with me to Romans chapter 7. We shared on this a little bit, but I'm going to hit this strong, and then we're going to enter into some things that are just going to break things open, glory to God. Romans 7, unfortunately, is a chapter that millions and millions of Christians, especially in the United States, identify themselves with as who they are. Uh, and unfortunately, it, it's, it's the, probably the, it's the greatest deception that someone could enter into. Romans 7 is the man that's trying to live the life on his own strength. And accordingly, the things he wants to do, he can't do. And the things that he does not want to do, he ends up doing. It certainly does not depict a person who is walking through the spirit of grace, through the spirit of God. It depicts an individual that falls short of the glory of God, exchanges the glory of God, and enters into utter frustration because of it. And even though he's trying, he always falls short. He always ends up exchanging the glory of God. He always ends up doing what he doesn't want to do and, and never enters in the fullness of what he knows he should do. Paul gives this backdrop to show the dichotomy between the person under the law and the person who is now under the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says this, There is therefore now no condemnation to them, hallelujah, who are in the man Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Holy Spirit. Then it goes on to say this, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. What's the law of sin and death? It's the law of that every time you try to do it on your own strength, you fail. When you enter in to living by your own strength through trying to really fulfill the law, which no one can do, then you're going to enter into sin and death. It's very strong, isn't it? You see, the natural man, the religious man, Actually, Romans 7 is making reference to the religious man. The religious man might be, in the context of a curve, more righteous than somebody that is not religious. But 
The Bible says his righteousness are as filthy rags because they fall so short of the glory of God. Romans 7 is a picture of religiosity. And you see, the religious men were always trying to minimize his sin, cover up his sin. And, and Jesus is saying, now we're in a place where there's a new law. There's a new sheriff in town. Glory to God. There's a new law. Hallelujah. It's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Oh, glory to God. We're going to talk a lot about this law. It's a law where instead of you living a life through your strength, you live a life through the spirit of infusion. Now, we talked about that in our last session to degree, but now we're going to enter into, honestly, I mean, just, just accentuating in a way that only the Holy Spirit can. In Philippians 4.13, the beloved scripture, and the King James says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In the Amplified, the Bible says this, I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. I am ready for anything, hallelujah, through the God who infuses his strength into me so that I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. Glory to God. Infusion. There's nothing like it. It's when God Almighty, literally, through the Holy Spirit, causes His life, the life of Christ, to be your life. You say, you want identity? You want to know who you really are? You are a literal child of the living God, filled with the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, who causes the life of Christ to become your life through the power infusion by that same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead. You say, wow, there's a lot to that. Yeah, you're going to have to you know, listen to that one over again. But that's the gospel. It is an amazing thing when his life becomes your life. It is simply amazing. There's nothing like it in the world. When his life is infused, glory to Jesus, whoo, into you. Let me give you an example. Uh, one of the men that discipled me was a man by the name of Mark Geppert. He has a very large minister at this time. He's director of the Southeast Asian Prayer Center located in Singapore. And I'll never forget, uh, I was meeting with him for a time of discipleship in uh, where our church was located, uh, Dayspring Christian Center in East Pittsburgh in Toronto. We met at an Eaton Park, and I was excited. I just uh, prayed with a woman uh, just that week who had a uh, volleyball-sized tumor on her pancreas that she could have died from. And we prayed on a Friday night, Saturday, when she went for the operation. Uh, when the doctors went in, it had disappeared. And uh, it was a great testimony. So I was excited to share with him about that. And uh, I had heard that um, on a recent mission trip, he, the Lord had used him to raise the man from the dead. And I said, uh, purposely, I said with a loud voice, so everybody in Eaton Park was uh, filled with people at that time. And I just said, uh, and, and for those who, who don't know that Eaton Park is a, is a, a, a restaurant, uh, it's a restaurant chain that's predominantly in Pittsburgh. And uh, I said, Mark, tell me about that guy you raised from the dead over in Guatemala. Well, now we had everyone's attention. 
but here's what he shared. He said, you know, um, I went to the hill country of Guatemala where most people don't go. And there's very few churches of any there. And he said, I would go to different villages and most people could not read. And we had the book of John in, in, in Spanish. And uh, he said, I finally found someone that could read. He said, he's about 11-year-old boy. And he agreed to read the book of John, not only to he, uh, you know, to, in his house, but to the village. And he says, I was excited. And uh, so I was talking to the young boy and his mother came and, and his sister. And I said, do you have any prayer requests before I, I leave? And they brought me into uh, a back bedroom. And uh, there's a man there looked like he was sleeping. And they said, could you pray for our, our dad? And he said, so when Mark said, I went to pray, he said, I spoke in tongues. I interpreted it and said, I break the chains in the name of Jesus. Well, he said, the man rolled over. He yawned and, and rolled over. And uh, their eyes got as big as saucers. Uh, the woman... Uh, the, the little boy that was going to read the book of John to the village and, and the sister. He said, I thought there was uh, a scorpion there. So I just took off. He said, I, I hate scorpions. He said, I just took off. He said, well, about three weeks later, a man uh, who had a helicopter, a doctor, took him back to that same village, to that area. It was a small village, but yet there was hundreds and hundreds of people there. And he said, my goodness, who are all these people here to see? And the doctor says to Mark, well, obviously, uh, and he said, I don't know why you would ask that. He said, obviously, they're here to see you. He said, well, why on earth are they here to see me? And the doctor said, well, of course, because of the man you raised from the dead. He said, what man did I raise from the dead? He said, well, three weeks ago, don't, did, weren't you in this village? He said, yeah. Didn't you go to such and such a hut in, in this village? He said, yeah. Do you remember praying for a man in the back room? He said, yeah, that guy that was sleeping. He said, Mark, that guy has been dead. For, for two and a half days, he said, I, I personally know the man. He fell off a cliff due to an epileptic seizure. And it brought a great revival in that area. But here's what I want to get across to you. Obviously, it was not about this minister because he, it wasn't about this minister raising the guy from the dead. It wasn't about him because he didn't even know he did it. But here's what's so exciting. When he spoke, the voice of Jesus, 1 Peter 4, 11, if you speak for the glory of God, speak as though God was speaking to you. The Spirit of God manifested the voice of Jesus through this vessel of clay. And he, authority came through him that was just the authority of Jesus. He said, I break the chains in the matchless name of Jesus. And death bowed its knee, and a man was raised from the dead. Someone says, I don't believe that. Well, then you don't believe the Bible, because Matthew 10, 7, and 8, as one of the great commissions, says the day that we're living in, that we are to preach the gospel, saying the kingdom of heaven has come, we're to cast out devils, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, and raise the dead. The Bible says in John 14, 12, that we are to do the works that Jesus did, and certainly that's one of the works that Jesus did. Now stay with me. Stay with me, because if you get this, it will cause you to see yourself as you've never seen yourself before. You see, this is why the Apostle Paul in Philippians 1.21 says, For me to live is Christ. That is the ultimate expression of identity. Now someone says, that's just too hard for me to believe. That's too much. Well, man, I tell you what, it's amazing. It is amazing, but it's the Bible. Glory to God. All right, I, I could stay 
Oh, just on this one, uh, you know, verse Philippians 4.13 for about forever. But let's go back to Romans 8. And again, the law of the spirit of life is when the spirit of life, the Holy Spirit, in Christ Jesus, by his grace, infuses into you the life of Jesus and causing it to be him that lives in you and not you in your naturalness. Glory to God. Now in Romans 8.11, the Bible says this. It says, if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall, oh glory to God, shall quicken your mortal body by his spirit that indwells you. Then it goes on to say that we're under no obligation to live according to the flesh, to live as mere men. You see, so many Christians are saying, you know what, yeah, I, I'm saved, but I'm just a sinner saved by grace, implying that they're, they're no different than they were before. It's, it's almost like, uh, you, you know, Max Cato gave this analogy uh, in his book, Glory Days. It's like, you know, uh, you've got this old clunker that goes into a car wash and then it gets all the dirt's washed off. But it's still a clunker. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is men that clunker goes in the car wash, gets washed. But then that old clunky engine gets taken out. And man, a race car engine gets put in his place. And glory to God, it is a new creation, a new vehicle to the glory of God. See, that's the gospel. So many people are going around clunking around and saying, I'm washed. What's well, great, you're washed. But you're not a clunker anymore. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's who you are. You see, you're not a mere man. You're not just a mere man that's been washed. You're a man that was an evil man, just not a mere man that's now had the evil nature taken out and the very nature of Jesus Christ put in. Glory to God by the Holy Spirit. All right. Now, oh man, if anybody catches a glimpse of this, you will never again be the same. I had some, uh, I was a campus minister with my wife for many years, and uh, there's two young men, uh, they went to a conference, and they were both senior, going to be in their senior year, and I'll be honest with you, they, they, they had a passion to win souls, but were unfruitful. Man, they went to this conference, and they got a glimpse about the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, how, how they could win souls. Their senior year, they became two of the greatest soul winners I've ever seen. Why? Because they caught a glimpse of their identity. Oh, man, I, tell you, I can't wait to enter into this in our fifth session. But all right, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Go with me to John 17, 26. We've gone here before, but I, I can't, I just can't bypass it. I got to go here again, and then, then we got to go quick. John 17, 26. Jesus says this. Oh, glory to God, I'm so excited I can hardly find it. And it's not that hard to find the book of John, is it? John 17, verse 26. Jesus says, I have manifested thy name under the men you gave me. And I will manifest it to all that believe that the love wherewith you were loved with may be in them and I in them. See, Jesus, this is Jesus. This is Bible. You can't separate the Bible from Jesus. Jesus is saying, Father, the believers are so close to me. They're literally your children. 
my last words in the context of prayer for the church is this. That the love that I experienced every day on the earth and the 33 years that I lived, they will experience the same exact love. That they may know your heart towards them. That your love might be in them and I in them. Do you understand? Are you getting a revelation by the Spirit of God? That you're, you, We are infinitely above angels. Jesus would never pray a prayer like this for angels. Angels are ministering spirits under the heirs of salvation. They're amazing beings, but, but they are not one zillionth of the glory of who you are in Christ. There's no angel that cries, Abba, beloved, and there never will be. Listen to me. Enter into the glory of who God's created you to be. All right, go with me to John 6, 21. Again, I'm reiterating some things, but man, I'm accentuating, the, I'm taking it to a higher level. The Bible says that after Peter walked on the water, he got in the boat, Jesus got in the boat with him, and then it says this, they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was translated unto the land whither they were going to. In a second's time, in a millisecond's time, this huge ship, and, and, and it wasn't a boat they were in. It was a ship. Man, man, he had 13 men. The ship was so big that they couldn't even find Jesus when they were looking for him. The ship was translated. Why did Jesus do this? So you could enter into the realm. So you could see you're made for a realm. Where God is. No, it doesn't make you a little God omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent. But it makes you enter into the truth of you being literally a child of the living God. Now, we went over some of this prayer, but it, we need to enter into it. I mean, you need to meditate on this every day. If you don't meditate on this, and you meditate on things that are contrary to that identity of God saying, well, like Romans 7. Why would you meditate on that when it's not you? You know, there are mirrors at, you know, some circuses or fairs. You can look into the mirror and it will make you look uh, very, very thin. Or it will make you look obese like you're 500 pounds. Why would you want to look into a mirror like that to see yourself as you're really not? A distorted image of yourself when you can enter into the image of God's word and see yourself for who you really are. It's time to enter into the mirror of God. Beloved, this is the mirror of God. Hallelujah. All right. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus did something awesome. He not only multiplied the fish and the bread, but the Bible shares that he did it through the apostles. He did it through the disciples. I mean, it would have taken, I mean, commonsensically. I mean, we read it in the Word of God, but commonsensically. I mean, if Jesus had to, there's about 15,000 people there, 5,000 men. There had to be a lot of children because they got the fish and loaves from a child. There's always more women than men at a meeting. But 15,000 people there, he would have been there for days passing out you know, loaves and fish. So he had his disciples pass it out. 
man, so they had a loaf, and man, it, 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 and then they passed it out, and another, the loaf was in their hand, and went on and on, just like I shared with you about those kids that, you know, they're passing out the peanut butter sandwiches, and they, they didn't run out until all the kids were fed. But here's what I want you to see. See, I said we're entering into a greater degree in this session. See, Jesus wanted them to get something. What did he want them to get? The same thing that he wants you to get. He wants you to see yourself as you are. The Bible says in Galatians 4, 6, that our, our spirits cry, Abba, we're no longer uh, servants, but we're children. I mean, we certainly serve God, but we're not slaves. We're children of God. In Mark chapter 6, what happens is this. After this experience, they are now in a place where they're again by themselves in the ship. And, and, and I mean, you know, the wind is going crazy and, and Jesus comes and he gets in the boat. And it said he went uh, in verse 51, Mark 6, 51. He got into the boat with the ship. The wind ceased and they were amazed to listen to this in themselves beyond measure and wondered. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves. For their heart was hardened. What does that mean? It means they just took part in one of the greatest miracles the world's ever seen, feeding 15,000 people with five loaves and two fish, and the miracle manifested through their hands. But they didn't get what Jesus was trying to convey. Just like when the ship translated glory to God, he was telling these men, you're made to be in the realm of God because you're my children, glory to God. You're made to be in the realm of righteousness. You're made to be in the realm of peace. You're made to be in the realm of the supernatural. You're made to be in the realm of the miraculous. You're made to be in the realm of victory. Your identity, glory to God, hallelujah, is not as a mere man, but it's been child as a living God, hallelujah. You see, you get I get excited because 90% of the church is living like slaves and, and the supernatural is so atypical, abnormal to them. And that's why I, the devil has a, mm, Jesus, the devil brings murder and destruction to them. And God's having you listen to this so you're delivered from us so you can enter the different realm as a man thinks in his heart so easy so you can be delivered from the realm of destruction where the enemy is so you can live in the high places of the earth as you're made to be. What would you think of an eagle that acted like a crow? And instead of being in the high places of the earth man coming down and devouring his prey, he is now fighting crows and being devoured himself. You'd say there's something wrong with that eagle. How doesn't he know he's made to live, glory to God, Woo! Through, through the wind and the high places and rain? How much more, beloved, are you made to live as Jesus lived because of the power of his blood? Glory to Jesus. Most of us, our hearts are hardened through unbelief, through a lack of teaching. I'll be honest with you. I grew up with a mother that had spinal bifida. Man, colostomy, ileostomies, convulsions. I mean, I watched her decay and die an early death. Thankful I led her to Jesus. Man, I remember going home in third grade and I, she was in so much pain and man, I, she couldn't find her pills. I, the, the injections with the morphine and I, 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 it, it so affected me. I, I mean, my mind was skewed. I, 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 I heard people hurt people. I remember going 110 miles in a 45-mile-an-hour zone in a police chase and the police catching me. And you know what? I didn't care. After they caught me, instead of, I took off again. I didn't care. 
Man, I had no revelation of goodness. I, I wasn't churched. But you see, man, so when someone tells me about God Almighty loving me as much as he loves his only begotten son, I remember when God showed that to me and I threw my Bible across the room and said, how could I ever believe that? I had such a hard time receiving goodness. And when I did receive goodness, I always thought, man, I was going to get harmed after I received goodness. My heart was hardened. And it was through the love of God. I came to a point, I said, God, I'm going to believe what your word says above what I experienced in my life. And that changed everything. And when I said, I'm going to believe your word, I, I saw a book that calls me his son. I saw a book that said the spirits in me that causes me to cry, Abba. I saw a book that says, I'm going to love you as I love my only begotten son when he was on the earth. I saw a book that says you're going to do the works that my son did. I saw a book that says you're an overcomer. You're a victor, not a victim. Wow. And that's what the Holy Spirit's wanting to convey to you. Glory to Jesus. Mm. Jesus. All right. I, I said in our, our initial part of this session that I was going to go over the principle vision provision. I want you to see that where there's vision, when God says that for you to live as Christ, you could do all things through Christ, through the spirit of infusion, where you could do you know, these amazing things, the works that he did. You say, wow, that's too much. But it's not too much because the provision's been made. You see, the reason that you have such an identity is due to the price that was paid. The blood is so powerful that has caused you to be able to enter in to being who you are. Man, if somebody, if there was a, a house that somebody wanted to buy and it was $5 million and they didn't have any money in their bank account, there's no way they could get it. But what if God put a desire for them to have that house and then had somebody give them $5 million? Well, guess what? The vision now has provision and they could have that house. God's given you desire for a lot more than $5 million. He's given you desire to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And the blood is a provision. Revelation 12, 11 says this, we overcome by the word of our testimony and the power of the blood. The blood is the foundational provision that causes us to be able to be who we are. I'm going to say that again. The blood is the foundational provision whereby we are who we are. The new birth. Man, 1 John 3, 8 and 9 says that there were people saying, you know, I can't do this, I can't do this. And this verse says that God has destroyed every work of the devil, every part of inability in you. And has given you literally the DNA of God. That's what the Bible says. Woo! God's nature now abides in you through the new birth, through the principle of life, the divine sperm, the DNA of God remains in you. So now his commandments are not burdensome, 1 John 5, 3, because his life is in you through the new birth. And then manifested by the Holy Spirit. 1 John 3, 8 and 9 is amazing. Woo! 
I, I can't get my eyes off of it. I just can't get my eyes off of it. Glory to Jesus. 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. See, new birth, Holy Spirit, faith of God. 1 John 5, 4. 1 John 5, 18, the devil can't touch you because of the authority in the name of Jesus. Glory to God. What a provision. You now have the nature of the living God. You had the nature of the devil prior to you being born again. He was a murderer from the beginning and you would commit murder if you could have gotten away with it if, if God had desired it for you. Now you have the nature of God. Whew, Jesus. And now the Holy Spirit is one with your born again spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says, He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So now the Holy Spirit is in you Glory to God, so he can infuse whew, the life of Jesus to you. See, that's grace. I understand that grace has been honestly taught in the wrong way by many, but it doesn't nullify the reality of the true definitions of grace. Unmerited favor and divine ability. Grace is not accepting you in your desire to enter into the flesh. And live like the world. That's not what grace is. Grace is God giving you the ability to live above the world. And because you love him, entering into that ability. Oh, oh my. Grace is God giving you a born again spirit, making you righteous. Grace is God causing the Holy Spirit to create the earth. To infuse the life of Jesus into you so you don't have an excuse for inability. So you can glorify the Father. Not, you're going to be perfect? No. But I'll tell you what. Are you going to be a victor rather than a victim? Are you going to be a Romans 8 man rather than a Romans 7 man? Yes. Yes and amen to them who believe. Someone says, well, I, I, this is strong because now this, I don't like this. It makes me accountable to live above. And I'm just a worm, but I know I didn't want to live beneath. Can I tell you something? Read the Bible. You're not a worm, you're a saint. He didn't write to the worms at Ephesus. He wrote to the saints. You're not unrighteous. You're the righteousness of God. You're not the tail, you're the head. You're not a victim, you're a victor. Glory to God. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. All right. The Holy Spirit himself. You know, the Holy Spirit created the world. It was in the Father's heart apostolically. According to Hebrews 1, Jesus spoke the word. And the Holy Spirit created that which was spoken. The Bible says he hovered over in Genesis 1-2, the void, waiting for the word to be spoken and the him manifesting the word. Your job is not to create. Your job is to speak your identity. I'm going to say that again. Your job is not to create or infuse. Your job is to speak your identity. Mm. We're going to enter into a lot of what I just said in our next session. You speak the word, I can do all things through Christ. God will infuse Christ into you. And the empowerment. 
You speak the word that my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19. He will bring it to pass. The Holy Spirit, if any one of us ever got the revelation, a tithe, that the one who created the earth is in us, we would never be sick again. We would never enter into fighting a familiar sin. We would never be unfruitful. We would never be doubting. We would never be fearful. And you're saying, well, what about people that are being overcome? What about people who are sick? Well, God loves them. My gosh, just because someone's sick doesn't mean that they don't love God and God doesn't love them and they're not an awesome person. But I'm telling you, why, why, why not let the Holy Ghost minister? 3 John 2, I desire above all things that you be blessed and be in health even as your soul prospers. That's the identity. Why not let them do it? Why have a hardened heart and say it's not me because of my past sin? It's, too, it's not me because it's too good to be true. Why not let the Holy Spirit do what he's called to do? Wherever there's blood, there's oil. You've been washed by the blood and now the oil of the Holy Ghost infuses the life of Christ. Number four is the word of God. Provision. The Word of God is not something for you to teach at Sunday school. It's something for you to enter into, to seeing who God is to you and who you are to God. It's a sword that when, glory to God, I have a series that's very popular. It's called uh, The Swords of the Spirit, plural. Your sword is the Word of God. And when you speak it, the Spirit of God, what I just said, manifest. According to the sword. Man, you put out your sword to put it in the devil and the spirit of God that manifests. Oh my gosh, an ability that's beyond your own and he destroys the devil. It's just like in Joshua chapter 10. The Bible says that uh, when uh, Joshua went up, the, the, the help, uh, 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 someone that went into alignment with them that was in covenant with them against the five kings. The Bible says that Elijah Killed men, or, or Joshua killed many with the sword. But God did put through down hailstones from heaven, killing so many more with the hailstones that, that destroyed. You put your sword out, God will confirm it and then add to it in an exponential fashion. The word of God is Jesus. John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God, when revealed, becomes a weapon that the devil cannot endure. Matthew 16, 16 to 18, when Jesus said that the, the, the spirit of revelation, the revelation of the word of God that gives identity, is yielded, is wielded. The devil, the devil forfeits and runs because he knows he will be decapitated. You say that's strong? Yeah, it is. Because Jesus Christ is not a game. You're either going to destroy the enemy or the enemy is going to destroy you. There's no voids in God. Someone says, I'm just a lukewarm Christian. Really? I'm going to tell you something. In the last day, good is not going to be good enough. And lukewarm isn't even good. We have to enter in to who we are. We enter in through the word of God. 
Matthew 4, 4, Jesus says, it is written to, to negate the devil. Matthew 4, 7, it is written. Matthew 4, 10, it is written. It is written, it is written, it is written. If Jesus fought through the word, was empowered by the word, do you think that we should do anything else? Glory to God, the name of Jesus. Philippians 2 says that there's one name that every knee will bow to, but it says there's a name above every name, not just at the day of judgment, but right now. Every name bows to. Man, you need to know the names of God. Man, the three teachings that changed my life most were the names of God teaching. You know, you know all the name, covenant names of God, Yahweh Rapha, the God that heals me. Uh, Yahweh Sidkenu, the God that sanctifies me. Uh, Yahweh Shema, the God who manifests his glory to me. Yahweh Shehobath, the God who fights militant uh, for me. Yahweh Rohi, the, the God who is my shepherd. I, I mean, Yahweh Kenna, the Lord who's jealous over me. I mean, you take the 15 names of God, it's amazing. The in-Christ teaching has changed my life. And then the spirit of teaching, which we're going to enter into today. Amazing teachings. You need to enter in to see that when you proclaim the name, that's when the Spirit of God confirms the name. Woo! You see, because you're a child of God, you've been given the name of God as a joint heir with Jesus. Every name that's inside the heart of God through Jesus Christ is now your name. In America, man, when a woman gets married, she gets the name of her husband. Everything that he has is not hers. When you accepted Christ, you became a joint heir with Christ. Every name within him, and the name represents every virtue that God consists of. And see, you're called to the virtue and glory of God. This gets better and better, doesn't it? The name of God and the virtue of God and the glory of God are synonymous. When Moses said, Lord, show me your glory, God said, I will manifest my name. Exodus 33 and 34. Woo, glory. Do you see the provision? The blood, the new birth, the Holy Spirit himself, the word of God, the name of God. See, this is ultimate grace. All right. Now in our last 20, 25 minutes, I'm going to hit something that's just literally amazing. I'm going to hit it. In, uh, you know, see, there's one thing to teach it, and then there's another thing to preach it. Teaching is to instruct, to explain. Preaching is to proclaim. We're going to teach some to accentuate what's already been taught. Then we're going to proclaim it. So when you're done with this session, you're going to say, my God, did I hear what I just heard? Woo! Am I seeing what I just, oh, my, my, my. You're going to be dancing. You're going to be shouting. You're going to be running. You're going to be saying, my God, I'm not just free. I'm not just washed with the blood. I am empowered through the blood by the Holy Ghost. And it's Christ who now lives in with, not myself. And for me to live is Christ. And you're going to enter into what that really means. Wow. Go with me, if you would, to Deuteronomy 34. Deuteronomy chapter 34. The Bible says this. Glory to God in verse 9. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands upon him. The children of Israel hearkened unto him, Whew, even as the Lord commanded Moses, because, you see, he now had the same spirit of wisdom that Moses had. Listen to me. This is a type of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To me, it's one of the greatest types of the gospel that exists in the word of God. Moses sowed the wisdom. 
He was the meekest man on the face of the earth. He was the wisest man on the face of the earth. He sowed to it through hardship. He sowed to it through persecution. He sowed to it through decades of submission to God. And now he's the wisest man on the face of the earth. Well, Joshua didn't sow to it like Moses did. So God says, I know that even though Joshua didn't sow to it like Moses did, by grace, see, grace is unmerited favor. It's getting something through a gift that you don't deserve. And God says he needs the wisdom that Moses entered into, that Moses reaped by sowing, but he didn't sow it. But by grace, I'm going to have the, the oh, why? I'm going to have the wisdom of Moses through the laying on of hands enter into Joshua. So now he has every iota of wisdom that, that Moses had. Woo! See, this is a type of the gospel. Ma'am, when the apostles got born again, Jesus laid his hands on them. That everything, glory to God, that was in him, now entered into them, then now entering into the DNA of God through the new birth. Just like he breathed into Adam. Hallelujah. In Genesis 2, he breathed into him the breath of life. He now laid hands on them, then he breathed into him. Woo, he breathed in the apostles in John 20, 22. Glory to God. Did they deserve it? No. How did they get it? Through the blood, through the spirit of impartation by grace. Every iota of wisdom that was in Moses now entered into Joshua. The virtue of God through the new birth, through the Holy Ghost, is now in you, and this is your identity. Let's get, I will prove this again and again. It's amazing. 2 Kings chapter 2, I want you to see something. It's just amazing. 2 Kings chapter 2 verse 9. Elijah says to Elisha, I'm going to be taken up to heaven. Translated, what do you want from me? You served me all these years. Here's what Elisha says. I want a double portion of your spirit. See, most people think that Elisha asked for a double portion of the anointing of Elijah. That is untrue. He asked for a double portion of his heart. He asked for a double portion of what was in Elijah that caused him to get the anointing. He got to the root of who, how to enter into the anointing. Elisha said, man, you asked a hard thing. He wasn't expecting him to say that. But he said, if you see me when I go, you have what you asked for. And amazingly, he saw in the spirit. It said he saw Elijah leave the, the chariots of fire and see what through the word of God even today. You're seeing who you really are and what you see you will be. Two of the greatest verses in the Bible. I want a double portion of your heart, Elijah. And then he was instructed, if you see it, you have it. And the scripture says he saw. When you enter into the word of God through the spirit of revelation, you see the eyes of your heart being opened to see this gospel and the true identity given to you through the blood, through the grace of the living God. So now Elisha has twice the, I mean the heart of Elijah that caused him to enter in to seek God, believe God, be used of God, be assertive of God, entering into the power of God that virtually nobody else had ever entered into. And he comes to the Jordan. He says, where is the God of Elijah? And he took the mantle 
and he hit the waters and they separated for him as they did for Elijah. But listen to me, everything that Elijah did, Elisha did twice. Man, when Elijah raised the, the, the Shudamite's son from the dead, then he cried out three times. Elisha got it done a lot quicker. Elisha did everything twice as much as what Elisha did. Elijah did. All right, you say, what's this have to do to me? With my eye to everything. Everything. Go with me to Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. You're in holy ground right now. You're on holy ground. Sometimes I, I, I take off my shoes when I, I, I get to this verse. I weep before the throne. I worship in a way that you can't even comprehend. I cry. I weep. I laugh. I run. I jump. I cause I, I this verse. Please, please, don't minimize it. Galatians 4, 6. It's, it's amazing. It's a verse of amazing enormity. Jesus said this, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore now you're no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Romans 8, 17 says a joint heir. Listen to me as we elaborate on what these verses entail. First it says, you get this glory because you're a son. Not because of your good works, not because of your religiosity, not because you go to church every day, not because you think you're better than somebody else, but because you're born again, a blood-washed child of the living God. So because your sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba. I've asked hundreds of pastors this. I'm going to be honest with you. I've had virtually not one of them understand this. And, and, and I'll tell you what, I'm going to be honest with you. There's a lot of things I don't know. Everybody has different graces. I'll be honest with you apostolically to teach the grace I have. I mean, for 50 years is to convey the revelation of sonship by grace. Believe me, I am nothing. I'm more than nothing, just like you. But God causes nothings to be somebody's by his grace. We're all somebody's in him. Listen to this. Listen to it. Because your sons, God caused the spirit of his son. The heart of his son. Through the Holy Ghost. To cry out, Abba. Listen to me. In Zechariah 12, 10, it says the spirit of grace and supplication. Whenever you see the word spirit of, that represents the Holy Spirit. And attached to it is what he will translate into you by a few infusion. For example, in Zechariah 12, 10, it says the way that there's going to be a great revival to fulfill prophecy with most Jews, so many Jews coming to faith in Jesus Christ is through the spirit of grace and supplication. Meaning, I mean, Right now, Jews don't want to come to Jesus. It's, I mean, they get thrown out of their houses. There's going to come a day. We're like rain. 
there's going to be a grace that causes the Jewish nation of Israel to seek the one that, they, that, that was crucified. And they're going to hunger for Jesus. They're going to accept Jesus. They're going to be immersed in Jesus. And one of the greatest revivals that takes place on the earth whew, is those in Israel coming to Christ. Not all of them, but a great revival. How? The Holy Spirit's going to impart a desire, a hunger. Like rain causes you to be wet. The hunger is going to be resonant within them by grace that's going to cause them to supplicate, cling to the one that was crucified. I'll never forget. See, I want to encourage you to look up all the spirit of scripture, the spirit of holiness. I, I, I was ministering to a young man. He, he said he's going to live with his girlfriend. And long story short, he, he loved God, but now he's backslidden. I, I took him upstairs. I, I, the Lord said, go upstairs and pray with him. We're talking in my living room. I said, Lord, let the holy, let their spirit of holiness come. I don't even know what I was praying fully back then. The whole room filled up with the holiness of God. Not just holiness. Not just what you think is holiness. Not what I think is holiness. The holiness of the living God. We both hit our knees. We both wept for hours. I wasn't even in sin and I repented. He got up. Glory to God. Repented and never entered into sin like that again. Now he's ministering for Jesus. See, it was the holiness of God. Just like the voice of God manifested through my, my, my friend Mark under that man being raised from the dead. Well, what's this have to do with Galatians 4, 6, everything? When you're born again, the Holy Spirit came into your heart infusing Jesus as a son to your spirit so that you could walk and crying, Abba, Father, even as he did. If you get that, you will never again be the same. I was ministering this at a Bible school on Monday. Today's Friday I was, uh, in, in the studio. I was ministering it today. I, I was ministering it to a man that it was amazing what happened. I won't go into it. Listen to me. How do you think Jesus cried Abba? He cried it seeing the Father's face. He cried it in reverence. He cried it in intimacy. He cried it in faith. He cried it in, in, in glory. If you would have heard Jesus pray Abba, Abba Father, you would have went to your knees. And when you're in heaven, my God said unto my God, Psalm 110, you're going to hear the Father and the Son converse. You're going to see, you hear Jesus say to the Father, Abba. You're going to see the Father and the Son in heaven in the Spirit of God. Can you understand Trinity? No, but I guarantee you, you will experience it. You say, you're telling me that I can cry, Abba, Father, the same way that Jesus did? That I can interact with the Father the same way that Jesus did? You've got to be kidding me. I'm here to tell you this. Just like Joshua, by grace through the laying on of hands, had the wisdom of Moses. It wasn't a different wisdom. Just like Elisha, 
entered in to a double portion of the spirit of Elijah. Infinitely more. By the grace of God. Through the new birth. By the blood. Through the Holy Spirit. The very glory of Jesus as a son. Is infused into your spirit. Where you see the Father, like Jesus saw him. You enter in the crying Abba as Jesus cried Abba. You enter into interacting with the Father as Jesus did. Not in imitation, but in infusion. We're in your life becomes so amazing. I'll never forget, I was preaching in a very good church. I just preached a sermon. And I had the pastor call up. He's a real tough guy, apostolic guy, different church, real tough guy. I don't think he'd give compliments to anybody. <laughs> he called me up crying. I mean, it's like 1.30 in the morning. I'm thinking, what do you want? He said, you don't go believe us. I said, well, better be good because I'm real tired. I just ministered at his church about an hour away. He said, I'm reading sermons by John G. Lake. He said, every, your sermon, every word you spoke is exact words of his sermon in this book. I didn't even know of John G. Lake at that time. I said, well, he's to be commended. I said, I'm going to bed. But what happened? Maybe John G. Lake preached a sermon that Jesus preached. Maybe the Holy Ghost infused a sermon, downloaded a sermon that Jesus preached through John G. Lake's spirit, then did the same thing with me. All I know is this. It's not about John G. Lake. It's not about Moses. It's not about and Joshua. It's not about Elijah and Elisha. It's about the gospel. It's about the life of Jesus Christ being infused into you through the new birth, through the Spirit of God. Look at me. How awesome. Is it to experience the heart of Jesus as a son? The hunger for the Father, Christ in you, the hope of glory, as Jesus hungered for him. Knowing that the Father has a need to pour out his glory upon you, just like he did for Jesus. Knowing that when you go to the Father, he will see you. In an amazing way. Due to the glory of Jesus Christ. Knowing glory to God. That he will answer you. As he answered Jesus. Knowing that he will hear you. As he heard Jesus. He will answer you as he answered Jesus. My friend. This isn't religion. No religion in the world would, could even think of this. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, in Judges 6.12, Jesus came to Gideon, hiding in a wine press. He said, oh, great and mighty warrior. Gideon said, 
I'm cowardly, I'm this, I'm that. But Jesus proclaimed who he really was. Gideon entered into being one of the greatest judges of Israel, ruling for 40 years. A man, cowardly, weak, to a man of great power. Jesus sees you as you are. The Father cries out to you, look at yourself through my word. See yourself conforming to the image of my son. Understand that the gospel is not a gospel, a rule book that says try to imitate my son and if you try to imitate him well enough, you'll get to heaven. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not a gospel of imitation. It is a gospel of infusion. It is a gospel that says because you are sons by the new birth, by the blood, the very person of Jesus Christ and all that he is is infused into you by the spirit of life. And it's no longer you who live but Christ. This is your identity. It's being literally a child of God. Having the very nature of God himself in you. Cultivating that nature through the provision, worshiping God by the blood, worshiping Him for the new birth, believing that the Holy Spirit brings it about as you claim the Word of God in the name of Jesus. It's so amazing. What can compare to it? I was praying for a woman, she had cancer. And we all been given a measure of faith. And, but when praying for her, it's like the measure I had was just starting to be cultivated just to tell her that she's whole. And the gift of faith came into my spirit. And I spoke to her and I said, I guarantee you're whole. And she was. There's nothing like cultivating the measure of faith. I, I, I went to a, a person, a little baby, uh, not a baby, he's about five, four and a half years old, clinically dead. No gift of the Spirit. But Jesus was in me. I said, Lord, I need your faith to manifest. I'll never forget. This boy's name was Alex. And the love of God, the compassion of God overwhelmed me. I began to weep for him, tell the parents while the dad left because the, he only had hours to live. He had been shot up with morphine. He had a brain disease where his brain was literally gone. He was destroyed, clinically dead. They took him to John Hopkins. The mother was a nurse. She said, can I take him back home, inject him with the morphine until he dies? They said, okay. I knew the foremost that was involved in the case. Went to my church. I can tell you the compassion of Jesus. Not a compassion that imitated Jesus. The compassion of Jesus came. The faith of Jesus rose up in my spirit. I said, he will live and not die. He's got a feeding tube in. He's brain dead. But he's still walking around somehow. And somehow, and, and he's ours to live. First day, he stayed alive. Second day, we keep praying, stayed alive. Third day, he got up brain dead with a feeding tube. And asked for something to eat. 
Instead of being dead, he's alive today. It's awesome to enter into the faith of God, the love of God. But you know what's more awesome? Is to be able to perceive through the heart of Jesus the love of the Father for you. What's most awesome is to be able to experience the presence of the Father and to know that every time you go to meet with God, He's already there because He won the race. He, he can't wait to be with you. You will never outrun Jesus when you go to meet with Him. He will always have won the race because He can't wait to be with you. What's most amazing? Is the identity that he's given you in me, infinitely undeserved, infinitely undeserved, but so profoundly the grace of God manifested, the life of Jesus Christ becoming your life so that you could enter in an intimacy with him that Jesus had. When he walked to earth. Being loved by him the same way. And then loving him back. Action, reaction. And for eternity. You will worship him. You will worship him. In a way that we can't comprehend. For the gospel. The gospel. Of Jesus Christ. That says his life. By grace is now your life. And your identity is accordingly. Glory to God for you to live. Philippians 1.21 is Christ.